Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of wondrous destinations. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is five unusual places that you can visit in Japan. And I've been looking forward to this because these places are really fun. And I just love those places in Japan that are unlike anything that you will find anywhere else in the world. Yes, we found five places that we haven't talked about at all on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. And we also haven't been there. So it was really fun learning some things about these places. Definitely. I think uh, let's just dive straight in today. Let's do it. Number one, Yoro Park. So there's this little town in Gifu Prefecture called Yoro. The population is only about 30,000 people. In this town, there is a park, Yoro Park. And there's a lot of normal stuff there. They have mini golf and tennis courts and food courts. And if you have kids, you can take them to a place called Kids World. The park also incorporates over 100 waterfalls in the area. Sounds like a pretty place. That's cool. Yeah. But Paul, what is the unusual thing about this park? There's an experience park. Yeah. I've seen it described as a theme park slash art gallery kind of thing. And it's known as the Site of Reversible Destiny. That's uh, an impressive sounding slogan there. Yeah. Not totally sure what it means, but it sounds good. And the theme of the park is encountering the unexpected. Yeah. It kind of looks like a playground for grown-ups. Like it's all about creating this place where you, you feel like a kid because there's so much to explore unlike anything you've ever seen before. Yeah, and you're going to be like climbing over things and really moving around. Yeah, it's a very active place. You'll feel like you're playing. Yeah, and this place, the site of Reversible Destiny, has a bunch of attractions inside it that also have really interesting names. So there's a place called the Critical Resemblance House. And this is a house, sort of, but it's also kind of like a maze. I saw a picture from the side and it looks... I mean, it's the weirdest building you've ever seen. It doesn't look anything like a house. It's just all these weird angles and like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> really weird. So the, the whole roof is actually a map of Gifu Prefecture, the prefecture where this is located. And then on the inside, when you walk in there, there are sets of furniture all over the place. Like not just on the floor. There's furniture on the ceiling. There's furniture underneath the floor. Like, just in totally useless places. Pretty unusual. The whole thing was a design just to make you have a hard time contemplating it. Yeah, yeah. It messes with your perception of space. So there's also Elliptical Field, which is a big bowl-shaped basin in the ground. And there are nine pavilions in this field, connected by a network of 148 paths. It'd be fun to explore. And there, I mean, there's just all sorts of weird stuff. There are these places called Exactitude Ridge, Trajectory Membrane Gate, the Zone of Clearest Confusion. I think that might be my favorite. I like the Membrane Gate. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds kind of, I don't know, membrane makes me think like gross body parts or something. <laughs> but yeah, so each place is supposed to change your bodily perception. And the idea is that that leads to a change in your consciousness. Ooh. Yeah. It reawakens the original human senses, they say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, it just looks like the kind of place that makes you want to run around and explore. Like, you can't just stand still and just look around like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. 
You got to go check <laughs> things out, you know? So around the whole park, there's also a big wall that you can climb up on top of even. There are places where there are like pitch black rooms that you just have to feel your way through. Yeah, that looked like fun. Yeah. Like you're outside and then you just walk into pitch black. Yeah. Did you did you watch any videos of people like walking through this place? Yeah. Did you see that there's apparently like this creepy clown music off in the distance? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people talked about the clown music. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. I like the uh tree that was like just growing out of this really deep hole yeah yeah and there's like a there's a railing around it to keep you from falling in but only around half of it (laughs) (laughs) it's on the uphill side so it kind of makes sense sort of but you could still (laughs) easily walk into this hole and just fall like 10 feet or something well that's probably the experience is climbing the tree back out (laughs) sure (laughs) i guess oh also did you see so there's that furniture inside the uh critical resemblance house but there there's furniture kind of all over outside it looks like and just in really nonsensical places like there's an easy chair at a 45 degree angle like you can't even sit on it you just be falling out of it or i saw places where there's furniture with a wall just going right through the middle of it (laughs) like a, a bathtub with a wall going through it that's that's not useful for anybody nope and yeah some of these parts like that tree pit we were talking about. Some places can be dangerous, so when you show up, they'll actually offer you a helmet at the entrance. You don't need to wear a helmet, but they're that's, there if you want. That's how you know this place is for real. Yeah. They're like, you might need a helmet. <laughs> I'll visit any place where they're like, things could happen, why don't you take a helmet? Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, something cool is going to happen here. <laughs> yeah, if someone hands you a helmet, something fun's about to happen. Exactly. So... We kind of kept talking about how everything's placed in these weird or random spots, but really it's all been purposely thought out probably to be as unusual as possible. Yeah. Because the whole park was designed by artists. Right. It was constructed in 1995 and designed by New York-based artists, actually. Artists slash architects, Madeline Ginz and Shusaku Arakawa. Fancy, the New York architecture firm. Yeah, so it looks like an American and a Japanese person kind of created this group called the Reversible Destiny Foundation. And this foundation has actually designed houses, like actual houses people can live in, in Japan and in the U.S., in New York. That's cool. Yeah, and I looked up pictures of these places. I mean, they're the craziest houses you can imagine. Like, they're, they're very whimsical places, I'll say. That's the word I, I would use to describe them. Just crazy colors and shapes and just like something you'd think up in a dream, you know? So if you want to visit this park, it is located in Yoro, as I said. The nearest big city is Nagoya. So if you're in that area, maybe, maybe take a little trip out to Yoro. And it's not too expensive. Looks like it's 750 yen for adults, which is like $7 or so. 500 yen for high school students, 300 yen for elementary and middle school students. And it's closed on Mondays and in the winter, but it's open 9 to 5 the rest of the year. Yeah, it'd be less fun in the winter. Yeah, snow's covering up all the cool stuff. And also of note on the location, it's kind of between Tokyo and Osaka. Yeah. So you can get to it from either of those places too. Or maybe even stop on a travel day for a few hours if you're going between the cities. Sure. 
All right, so what do we got next? Unusual destination number two. Number two is a place called Toyama Bay. So this is a bay located on the northern coast of Honshu, the, the big main island of Japan. It's not too far from Kanazawa, just a little bit east of there. That's probably the nearest like big touristy city, Kanazawa. And what is unusual about Toyama Bay, Paul? Toyama Bay is famous for its bioluminescent firefly squid that light up the bay with a blue glow. Yeah, I saw pictures where it's just like you walk up to the beach and the waves that are washing up on the beach are glowing this super bright electric blue. It looks so cool. Yeah. The uh, firefly squid normally live 1,200 feet underwater, but there's unique currents in the bay that push them up to the top. So that's why they uh, float up and light the bay up. Yeah, so from March to June, millions of them come to the coast to spawn. And these, these squid are really tiny, actually. They're only up to three inches long. And if you want to see them, you can sometimes see them from the shore, but you really need to get the timing right, it sounds like, to see them. So most people, if they want to see them, they'll get on these sightseeing fishing boats that'll bring you out at 3 a.m. Like you got to go out there in the middle of the night to these spawning spots where they'll pull up nets full of these glowing squid and you can check them out. Yeah, the squid glow from special organs they have called photophores. Yeah, I think a lot of really deep sea life has that kind of thing. You know, yeah. it's, only, it's only the animals that live in the super, super deep, dark parts of the ocean that light up like that. I've heard the light described as it looks like a glow stick. It's got like that fluorescent type of look to it. Yeah, it looks really bright and really cool. These squid are actually popular food in Japan, too. They're eaten all over Japan in a bunch of different ways. They make tempura out of them, they grill them or stew them or even eat them raw. I saw one article said that the, this journalist went on one of these sightseeing tours and a fisherman grabbed one of them, popped its eyeballs out and just gave it to the guy like, here, try it. They're delicious. Wow. Yeah. And if you're checking out these squid and you want to learn more about them, there's also a museum in Namarikawa which is right on that bay, and you can learn all about these squid. It's called the Hotaru Ika Museum. Yeah, I thought that was cool that they've got a museum yeah. dedicated to the squid. Yep, the only one in the world. The bay is also kind of right up against a mountain range, so you get really beautiful views of the mountain if you're out on the bay. That's always nice. Yeah. So if you want to check out the glowing squid, you can go on those tours between March and May. And from what I saw, there might be different companies that have these tours, but from what I saw, it was 5,000 yen, about $50 for adults, and 3,000 yen, about 30 US dollars for children. Okay. Paul, what is unusual place number three? Inakadate. It's a village of about 8,000 or so people in Aomori prefecture in northern Honshu. Yeah, and they're known for growing rice. I like rice. Everybody likes rice. But yeah, especially, I feel like Aomori prefecture, I'm pretty sure they're known for like the best rice in Japan. And so in Inakadate, in 1993, they started working on a public art project to generate attention and tourist revenue 
So what did they start doing, Paul? They made rice paddy art known as Tanbo. Yeah, and it is amazing. They're like these huge murals that cover entire rice fields. Yes, they go out on a field and they meticulously plant different colored stalks of rice in different places so that when they grow out, it looks like a picture. Yeah, and they can get insanely detailed. It's really amazing how much detail you can get with just these individual rice stalks. And so when they started making these murals, the early designs were pretty basic. Like I think the very first one was just a mountain. Mautiwaki. Okay. And some letters or characters, I should probably say. Sure. But yeah, now they're super detailed. They started out using four colors, but now they can use up to seven. And I saw that some of those have been genetically engineered. Yeah, they're they've got the right color. new colors now. Yeah. And they have observation towers that you can get up on to view them. Because, you know, kind of got to see them from above to get the full effect. Yeah. They've done a bunch of traditional Japanese stuff over the years. But they've also started to do some Western stuff, too. Yeah. Like famous movies and stuff. Yeah, I saw the Star Wars one they did. They've done some Japanese modern movies, too, I think. Yeah. There was a classic Hollywood one. I can't remember what the actors were. Oh, yeah. Is it like a Clark Gable movie or something like that? It might have been. Yeah, so each year, the villagers get together to decide on what designs they want to plant that year, and then they sketch them out on a computer and figure out where to plant each color of rice, and then over a thousand local volunteers all get together to plant all the rice by hand. Volunteers includes local school children. Nice. But hey... I would totally take a day out of school to go plant some rice. I would have enjoyed it. Heck yeah. And you learn. You learn how to plant rice, which is really an important cultural thing in Japan. Yeah. And I mean, you're participating in your town's tradition, you know? That's always nice. A sense of community. And you mentioned that the designs are computer generated. Mm -hmm. They use perspective drawing methods so that the pictures look their absolute best from the observation platform that they have erected near the fields. I didn't realize that, but that makes a lot of sense. You know, in typical Japanese fashion, no, 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 you have to look at it from here this way because it's the optimal way to look at it. Yeah. Paul, did you see that in 2008, advertising tried to make their way into this? I did. We've got, we've actually got a controversy section almost (laughs) brewing here. Yeah. So Japan Airlines and To'o Nippo, a local newspaper, they wanted to put their logos on the fields. And they were ready to pay 2 million yen for that. But there were protests. Like the villagers and the former mayor protested and said that they would refuse to lease the land if that plan to display corporate logos wasn't abandoned. Yeah, I heard it. It seemed like it was almost like a done deal, ready to go. Until they threatened to pull the lease, and then it would have been the last year they ever did this, and that's when it finally stopped. From what I saw, they had already planted seedlings. Yeah, they had to go out and unplant them or replant different ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I personally think that's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm down for any time that, uh, anything that gives us a little less advertising in the world. It, it might not have been on this list if there was like a big logo under each painting yeah. like or each design. That would be so much less cool. Yep. So every year, about 100,000 people come to see the rice paddy art. Mm-hmm. 
And in 2014, the emperor and the empress of Japan came to look at it. It's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Yeah. This village made it. The emperor came out. Yeah. So a big part of the reason why they decided to do rice paddy art is they want to pass down the knowledge and the tradition of hand planting the rice because it's so important to Japanese culture. So when you go there, you learn a lot about rice and a lot about planting rice. Yeah, and planting it in the traditional way. I love that. Like I think a lot of different places around Japan are trying to hold on to these traditional ways of doing things, like this knowledge that would just be lost forever if they didn't pay attention and try to hold on to that heritage. Yeah, and if you go to look at these rice patties, they have what they call a rice-making experience tour. And the tour's free. You have to sign up ahead of time, and they provide you with a free lunch. But you basically, it seems like you go out there and like they show you how to plant rice and like you go plant rice by hand. That sounds fun. Yeah. They tell you to wear appropriate clothing for manual labor. (laughs) So you could really like dive in there and really learn about rice and see the cool rice paddy art. Nice. You know, that reminds me of a fun fact I learned at some point. I wasn't even planning on mentioning this, but I just thought of it. Paul, did you know? So they, you know, they plant rice, a lot of times you see it flooded with water, right? Yeah. They flood it with water not because the rice needs to grow that way, but because rice is one of the few plants that can survive in those conditions. So the water keeps weeds from springing up. Like they don't need to weed the place because the rice is the only thing that can survive underwater. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, weeds, that makes sense. The first place I went there was like to keep the rodents and pests away from eating it. Mm. But I suppose rats can swim. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to visit Inakadate to see the Tanbow art, it looks like the best time of year can actually vary depending on the climate that year. It can vary from June to October. So you probably want to do your research before you head out there. And prices can vary depending on which observation deck you go to. Like we said, there are a couple of those, right? But it's not too expensive. What I saw was 500 yen at the most, which is less than five bucks. Yeah, not bad at all. Yep. Unusual place number four is a place called Hakone Koakien Yunesun. And this is a hot spring resort in Hakone. So we've mentioned Hakone before. It's not too far from Tokyo, just a couple hours west on the train. And we've talked about hot springs a lot too. We did a whole episode on onsen, but just a quick refresher. What's an onsen, Paul? What's a hot spring resort? Hot spring resorts are resorts that have a bunch of traditional Japanese baths where the water is from natural hot springs. Yeah, and these different baths can have different types of minerals that are supposed to, you know, have different health benefits. We talked about Beppu where they have those hot sand baths, steam baths, all that stuff. So at Yunasun, there's a section that's basically like any other hot spring resort. You got those normal hot springs, but there's also another section of this place that's a water park. So they have all the stuff that you would find at a normal water park, water slides. There's a waterfall that you can play in. And there are hot spring caves. Did you see those, Paul? 
No, that sounds awesome. Yeah, they got baths in these caves, and there are aquariums even in, in the caves with jellyfish. There's a section with a jungle gym with like water jets and stuff, just, you know, a water park jungle gym sort of thing. You mentioned the water slide. And what I thought was so cool is there's a big water slide outside, but it uses heated water. So you can go down it all year. So even in the winter, you can be outside going down this water slide because you're in hot water diving into a pool of hot water at the bottom. That's awesome. Yeah. Like like a hot spring water slide. Yep. Cool. Oh, I think it must be in the other section, the normal hot spring section where they have a 40 meter long open air hot spring bath. Or maybe it is. No, that that is part of the. Okay. Yeah. That's part of the water park thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. 40 meters. Like I, I might've seen some that that's like the biggest single bath in Japan, maybe? Yeah, I mean, 40 meters is massive. Yeah. But we haven't even gotten to the unusual stuff yet. Paul, what is it that sets Unisun apart from other onsen mm. resorts? The special bath that I would go with would be the fragrant wine bath. Yeah. Used to rejuvenate. Yeah. In the pictures, it looks like really bright, like magenta water. And there is actual real wine in there. They say it is a luxury that was enjoyed by Cleopatra and Queen Mary for its skin rejuvenating abilities. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to smell really nice. Yeah. Look good. Yeah. And it's decorated like they have these wine barrels on the side and there's a giant wine bottle that's pouring water into the bath. Yeah. That looked cool. Yeah. What other odd baths do they have there? They have all sorts of stuff, my friend. They have a coffee bath. You can bathe in coffee. What? Yeah. Nell dripped coarse coffee brewed with hot spring water. Was that supposed to wake you up? Get you going? Yeah. It's supposed <laughs> to reduce fatigue, beautify your skin. They say that you can actually feel the caffeine entering your body just by sitting in it. I know a few people that would probably enjoy bathing in coffee every morning. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> and for both the wine and coffee bath, there are three times a day when they dump more wine or coffee in there. And it sounded to me like they. They're like just spraying it all over people. You know, they're dumping wine on people's heads and stuff. Like it's kind of this whole big fun event sort of thing. That sounds awesome. Yeah. But that's not all, is it, Paul? What other kind of baths do they have? Those are the coolest ones I saw. Really? Yeah. Well, let me blow your mind because that's not it. They have a sake bath. They have. Oh, this is one of the places that's got a sake bath. You've heard of other places that? that have a sake bath? Yeah, we mentioned that, I believe, in the Hot Springs episode. I don't remember that. Because I, I mentioned it. Oh. <laughs> That's why I don't remember it. I listen to you, Paul. I listen. There's a green tea bath. I would love to bathe in green tea. Yeah, I would be into that. And there's a giant Japanese teapot hanging over it, too, like pouring water out of it, kind of like the giant wine bottle. Yeah, yeah. There's a ramen bath. What? Yes. Pepper water, apparently. Ram- yeah, ramen seasoning kind of water. And there are giant fake noodles hanging over that one. You get hot in that one, and you're like, I'm becoming a noodle. (laughs) Yeah. They have a chocolate bath. Okay, all right. Yeah. And so all these, you know, they ask you not to drink from these. Yeah, please don't. I feel like it'd be hard to resist. Oh, come on. Like, I'm not just going to, like, you know, scoop a bunch up in my hands and pour it down my throat, but... I, I would totally be tempted to just like let my lip kind of slip under the water just for a second. Oh, man. <laughs> I want to see what it tastes like. 
All right. We're going to pretend like we don't know each other when, when we go. <laughs> I wouldn't actually do it. I'm just saying I would, it would be tempting. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, so there are even more baths, actually. There is a Dr. Fish foot bath. What? You're, really? You didn't hear about this? Doc, what's Dr. Fish? Little fish with doctorate degrees. You know? Oh, do they like eat the dead skin off your feet or something? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, you put your feet okay. in this little pool and little fish come and nibble away the rough skin on your feet. That does not sound fun to me. Why? It's I think just, it sounds awesome. That sounds like nightmare fuel. Like these fish are just eating your feet. They're just little itty bitty fish. Like they couldn't even eat a toe if they wanted to. If there's enough of them, they could. Right, guess, obviously, if you want to ruin it for everybody, Paul, geez. Obviously, they're not going to. They just like dead skin, but I've had to think about piranhas, I guess, since I was a kid. I'm pretty sure they're not using piranhas. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> but yeah, you know, now that you mention it, I feel like there were a lot of movies, like when we were kids in the 90s or something, where people got eaten by piranhas or something. Like, piranhas seemed like a big deal, you know? Yeah, it's like if there's a shark coming at you, it's like one shark. And you can see it coming and you can try to like poke it in the eye. But piranhas, you got no chance. You're just gonna There's swarm hundreds you. of them. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so they also have a, a warm stone room. You can lay down on these warm stones. That sounds nice. Ooh, yeah. I want to be a lizard just yeah. to lay on a warm stone all day. Yeah. They have a Finnish sauna. There's an aroma room. And they, you know, it's just like aromatherapy kind of thing. And they change the aromas to match the season. Isn't that fun? Yeah, that's nice. They have massage salons. They even have like restaurants and shopping. I mean, this is like a, a big resort. There's a lot of stuff to do there. It sounds like a super fun place to visit. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to go. So yeah, if you want to go, again, it's in Hakone, not too far from Tokyo. And maybe we should mention that when you're in the hot spring theme park side that we've been talking about, it's swimsuit place. Right, right. So you're not going to be going down this outdoor water slide butt naked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, there's the water park half that's just like a water park. Everybody's in swimsuits. And then in the hot spring half, or the normal onsen resort type half, that's where everybody's going to be naked in the baths, like a traditional Japanese bath. Yeah. So if you're not comfortable with being super naked in the bath around a bunch of Japanese people, this might be a place to go. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff to do, only partially naked. Yeah. Yeah. We're all comfortable partially naked, right? Not everybody. Let's not make assumptions. You're right. You're right. Love your body. All right, so I think we're to unusual place number five, and this is my personal favorite. I was saving the very best for last because, oh, this is, this is so great. You really like this place. Yeah, I've I, heard you talk about this before. Yeah, I heard about this years and years ago, and it's, it's just amazing. I would say this is the most unusual place out of the five on the list today. For sure, yeah. So what are we talking about, Jason? We're talking about a little tiny village called Nagoro. This is located in a valley in rural Shikoku. And, you know, we've been talking about a couple of small towns slash villages, but this is by far the smallest one. There's almost no people living there, but it's populated by hundreds of life-sized dolls. The dolls are stuffed with straw and dressed in old clothes. Yeah, and if you drive through this village, you'll see dolls everywhere. They're on the side of the road. They're hanging out 
on porches in front of houses. They're like farming in the middle of fields. There are ones fishing down by the river. There's a room in the schoolhouse that's got a bunch of dolls of kids sitting at desks looking up at the teacher doll. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it all so, so much. So they're basically all in positions that people would be in if they were there living their everyday lives. Right. So at first, this, this might seem really creepy and weird, but there's actually a really sweet story behind it that I will tell now. So there's this woman, Tsukimi Ayano, and she grew up in this town in Nagoro, but she moved to Osaka, which is where she spent most of her adult life. But then in the early 2000s, her father was not doing well, and he was still living in Nagoro. So she went back to take care of him. And, you know, this is, this is common of rural communities in Japan these days. A lot of them are kind of dying off because, I mean, there's a low birth rate in Japan. The young people all move to the cities. So a lot of these little rural towns only have like an aging population left and they slowly die. And eventually it's just a ghost town. There's nobody there anymore. So that's basically what was happening in Nagoro. At one point it had about 300 people living there. But as of September 2019, there were only 27 people, all of them over the age of 50. And... Tsukimi Ayano was sad to see her hometown like disappearing. So she started making dolls to replace the residence as a, kind of a monument to what the village once was. Actually, I think that's a really sweet idea, you know? Yeah, it is. So the very first doll that she made was actually of her father. And she made that one as a, an actual scarecrow, like a functional scarecrow to scare away some birds and stuff. Yeah, she was just making a scarecrow and think decided, eh, I'll make it look like my dad, you know. Yeah. Then she started making a bunch of them to replace other people in the town that passed away or moved away. And she, she would place the dolls where that person would have been hanging out in the town when they were alive. So a lot of these dolls that you'll see there are based on real people. But some of them, I mean, these days are just made up people too. Like they're just a bunch of dolls now. Yeah, to give you an idea of what it's like to go to this place, you said there's 27 people still living in the village. As of September 2019, yeah. And there's about 350 dolls. Yeah. They're... So you, you're going to see doll to people at a ridiculous 10 to 1 or more ratio. Yeah, and you know this idea took off when people started hearing about these dolls. More and more people started making them. So... Yeah, I mean, the whole place is just filled with dolls. That school that Paul mentioned, that closed in 2012, and now you know, it looked like most of the rooms in the school have dolls, like it's populated <laughs> with dolls. And I actually saw the last two kids that attended that school created dolls of themselves to replace them when they left. <laughs> and you can find them sitting in one of the classrooms, and they're even wearing the kids' clothes. Like, they put their own clothes wow. on the dolls. So authentic. Yeah. Is that just what everyone in that town does now? I better make a doll of myself so when I die, they're, they're ready to replace me. <laughs> Maybe. You know, I don't know. It's a really sweet story, but I could also see that being, like, a really interesting plot for a horror movie. Like, something based around, oh, everybody's got a doll to replace them when they die, you know? All of a sudden, your neighbor's gone, and there's a doll there, and everyone just acts like it's normal. <laughs> yeah. Somebody should write that, that story. <laughs> yeah, so now this place is known for these dolls around the world, really. Thousands of people visit every year to see them. 
if you go on YouTube, there are a bunch of videos of people walking through the village and uh, it's, it's just fascinating to see. Yeah, I think even like Google Street View, you can like see dolls along the roadside. Yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> see a virtual tour of this village. Yeah. So if you want to visit Nogoro and see these dolls, out of all these places we've talked about, this is probably the hardest one to reach because it's rural. So you probably want to rent a car. Um, I saw that there's a doll making workshop every fourth Wednesday each month from April to November. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, if you want to make your own doll. I think you have to bring your own supplies, but they'll teach you how to make them. And on the first Sunday in October, there's an annual doll festival now. Makes sense. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. And like we said, this little village is in a, a valley. So I saw that there's a lot of hiking in the area through the mountains surrounding it. It looks like a really pretty place. So got to visit there sometime. You're like halfway up the mountain and all of a sudden, like out of the corner of your eye, you see something. <laughs> this is a doll hanging out in the woods. Oh man, that would be great. I wonder if anybody's thought of that, like just putting dolls along these hiking paths just way out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, what's like the furthest out doll from the <laughs> yeah. village? Yeah, be awesome. There's undiscovered dolls lying around. <laughs> Only one way to find out. Let's go. You got anything else, Paul? That was our last unusual place. Yeah, I think I think that's all I got today. All right. I guess that's the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing about these fun, unusual places. Maybe we inspired a future trip. If you want to hear more about other cool Japanese stuff, you can find our website at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. And if there's anyone out there listening that has been to one of these places, we would love to hear about your experience. So you can write in to us at feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Paul, what are we talking about next time? Our next episode is going to be about chopsticks. Awesome. I feel like I haven't looked into this yet, but I just know chopsticks is going to go way deeper than I ever imagined chopsticks will go. I'm sure. I don't know when exactly they originated, but it must have been a super long time ago. And I have watched like some stuff about chopsticks and there is a lot of interesting stuff about them. And even like we've talked about Shinto so much and it seems to touch a lot of different parts of Japanese life. It definitely has something to do with chopsticks. Just wait now. Just wait until we do 30 minute history on chopsticks (laughs) on this next episode. (laughs) Yeah. Should be fun. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.